right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Church. We're so delighted that you're on the worldwide interweb with us tonight. Anyway, right now is the time of service. We get to continue our worship through Christ in the forms of tithes and offerings. Now, there's different ways to give. Now that we're, not get st we're still not gathering at church, uh, you can go to online. Uh, you could go to the NHC app. You could go to NHC Give and text it. Or you can be like me and snail mail the bugger to 840, is it 720? 840, 840, 840 Kupulau Road, Hilo, Hawaii, 9672, Goose Egg. So, anyways, um, the Reverend Billy Graham, he was uh, early in his career, he was doing an evangelistic outreach in North America, and he he needed to mail a letter, so he bumped into this little boy, and he told the little boy, Hey, could you direct me to the post office? So the little boy obliged him and, and showed him where the post office was. Then Billy Graham, being the consummate evangelist, said, And son, be sure to bring your parents to church tonight, where I will be teaching on the way to heaven. The little boy said, oh, thank you, Mr. Mr. Uh, Graham, but uh, I don't think I'll be there tonight. You don't even know the way to the post office. <laughs> the way, the way to heaven. Now, the way to heaven is actually a person. The way to heaven, his name is Jesus. As stated in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see... The way to heaven is not a set of rules. It's not how much money you give. It's not how much times you attend church. It's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. One of the greatest things a Christian or a believer can do is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone they know. If you ever had the blessing and opportunity to lead someone to Christ or be next to someone who just gave their heart to Jesus. Let me tell you, it is an amazing thing. My good friend, he shared this uh, text with me last, last month, or earlier this month. It says this, and he was ministering to this one brother at his workplace for some time. He says this, Oh, brah, praise report. A good friend and co-worker of mine received the Lord a couple days ago. My wife and I have been praying for him. He was considering even checking out just a couple of weeks ago. Now the Holy Spirit moving in him so much. All his text is about praising his mighty name. It's been a while since someone I knew, I knew got saved, so I had to share. Praise Jesus. The Holy Spirit in me stayed jumping for joy. Hallelujah. I tell you, uh, brothers and sisters, I pray and my hope is that one day you would see that experience leading someone to Christ. To see someone who was in the deepest despair to the highest elation of joy. To see one who was broken become fully, completely whole. To see a father who was, uh, uh, you know, struggled to addictions and alcohol but set free. Or to see a child give their hearts to Jesus. It's the best. There's no greater thing. And as we give, we partner with God so that we show people, we teach people the way to heaven. And his name is Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. So we thank you. We praise you for this offering. May you multiply it 10, 60, 100-fold, Lord God, that you would bring many people into 
uh, your kingdom, Lord God, that your name would be proclaimed all over this city, Lord God, all over this world. So we thank you for this night. We pray in Jesus' name that you will just soften our hearts, kind of till the soil in our hearts so it's, it's soft and it's ready to receive your word, the seed, Lord God, and may it grow and produce 30, 60, 100 fold. So we thank you, Lord. Use Pastor Sheldon as your instrument and your mouthpiece this evening. We praise your glorious and majestic name. Amen. So tonight, uh, we will be con continuing on our journey through the Bible. We're in Ezekiel part one, and we will be doing, uh, it's called Judgment and Hope. So enjoy this video. The book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest who had been living in Jerusalem during the first Babylonian attack on the city. And they spared the city, but they took a first wave of Israelite prisoners and hauled them off into exile, and Ezekiel was among them. So the book begins five years after all that, and Ezekiel is sitting on the bank of an irrigation canal near his Israelite refugee camp, and it's his 30th birthday, no less, the year that he would have been installed as a priest in Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, Ezekiel has this vision. He sees a storm cloud approaching. And then inside the cloud are four strange creatures that have wings outstretched and touching each other. And these creatures each had four faces. And then he saw four wheels, one by each creature. And then he saw that the wings of the creatures were supporting this dazzling platform. And then on that platform is a throne. And then sitting on that throne is this human-like creature glowing and shrouded in fire. And then all of a sudden Ezekiel realizes what he's seeing. He calls it the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. It's God riding his royal throne chariot. Now the word glory, in Hebrew it's kavod, it means heavy or significant. The biblical authors use this word to describe the physical appearance and manifestation of God's significance when he shows up in person. These images in the vision, they're very similar to what happened when God appeared on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And it's also very similar to the depictions of God's presence over the Ark of the Covenant. And that's actually the most shocking thing about Ezekiel's vision. What is God's glory doing in Babylon? It's supposed to be above the Ark of the Covenant, in the temple, in Jerusalem. And so the first section of the book opens to explore that question as Ezekiel begins to accuse Israel of rebellion. So God first speaks to Ezekiel from the throne chariot, and he commissions him as a prophet. Ezekiel is to accuse Israel of breaking their covenant agreement with God in a couple ways. Israel has given their allegiance to other gods and has been worshiping idols, and this has all led to rampant social injustice and violence. And so as a result, God appoints Ezekiel to warn the people. The first Babylonian attack that took Ezekiel into exile is going to be matched by another, and Jerusalem, its temple, all face imminent destruction. So Ezekiel uses words and more to get his message across. He also performs sign acts. These were a form of street theater. Ezekiel would go out in public and start behaving in these really bizarre ways that were like parables of his prophetic message. So he was supposed to build a tiny model of Jerusalem and then stage an attack on it. Or he was to shave off all of his hair and then chop it up with a sword. Or the most extreme, he was to play the role of the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement. And he would lay on his side for over a year, eating food cooked over poop as a sign of the nasty food that people will have to eat during the siege of Jerusalem. 
And perhaps the most disheartening thing of all is the bad news God gave Ezekiel that no one was going to listen to him. Israel would reject him because of their rebellious and hard heart. And this recalls Moses' description of the people after the wilderness rebellions, when he predicted that exile would one day happen, and Ezekiel had the unfortunate privilege of seeing it all come to pass. And so, a dismayed Ezekiel, he begins to perform his task. And after about a year, he has another vision. This one is about the temple. He goes on this virtual tour of the temple, and he sees what's happening there in his absence, and it is not good. In the outer courtyard, in front of the temple, he sees this large idol statue. And then he sees the elders of Israel worshiping other gods, both outside and inside the temple. And then he sees the women of Israel. They're worshiping a Babylonian god named Tammuz. And the vision ends with God's glorious throne chariot moving up and away from the temple. It's leaving, going east, headed towards Babylon. And so in chapter 11, we come to see why and how God's glory appeared to Ezekiel there in Babylon. Israel's idolatry and their covenant violations, it's become so blatant and offensive that God has left his temple. They've driven him away, and he consigns it to destruction. But God hasn't abandoned his people. Rather, he goes into exile with them. And so at the end of this vision in chapter 11, God promises that he will return a remnant of Israel back to the land, and he'll transform them by removing their heart of stone and giving them a new soft heart of flesh so that they can love and truly follow their God after all. This is a small glimmer of hope, and it's quickly submerged under the reality of the imminent destruction. But chapter 11, it's a key transition, and it helps us understand how the rest of the book has been designed. So the next three sections are all announcements of God's judgment, first on Israel, then on the nations around Israel, and then on Jerusalem itself. But then after that, the hopeful conclusion of chapter 11 gets developed in the final three sections of the book. First, hope for Israel, then for the nations, and then for all creation. Chapters 12 through 24 focus on God's judgment coming to Israel. And this is a diverse collection of poems and essays. And here Ezekiel shows his fondness for parable and allegory. So he depicts Israel as a burnt, useless stick or as a rebellious wife, or as a dangerous, raging lion that gets captured, or as two promiscuous sisters. These are all depictions of Israel's senseless rebellion and idolatry that results in their ruin. In this section, Ezekiel also acts like a lawyer. He begins arguing the case that, first of all, Jerusalem's destruction is truly deserved after centuries of covenant violation. And that even if the most righteous people in the world, like Noah or Daniel or Job, were alive and praying for God to spare Israel, God would not accept their prayers. It's far too late. And so God's goodness actually demands that he bring justice on this generation of Israel. The exile has become inevitable. They've reached the point of no return. Following this, Ezekiel focuses first on the nations immediately around Israel, and then on the two most powerful states in the region, Egypt and then Tyre. Israel has allied with these nations and adopted their gods and their idols. And so God accuses the kings of Tyre and Egypt for arrogantly viewing themselves as gods who get to define right and wrong on their own terms. And God holds these kings accountable for their pride, and he announces that he will use Babylon to bring them down. They will face God's justice along with everybody else. Following these really intense sections is a short story in chapter 33. Ezekiel's met by a refugee who's just arrived from Jerusalem, and he gives them the report that Babylon has attacked the city of Jerusalem, that the city has fallen, and the temple is destroyed. 
Ezekiel's grim warnings have become a reality. But remember, the end of chapter 11. That's not the end of the story. And so in the next video, we'll explore Ezekiel's profound vision of hope. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel, there's a lot to cover in the book of Ezekiel, which is why we're breaking it up into two parts. So if you are with our church online, you're going to see a place that has notes. You can go there and follow along. If you're on YouTube or Facebook, you can write down some notes, and that will help you to kind of stay close to what we'll be talking about. And this year, the year 2020, we've already decided that we were going to go through the entire book this year. So we're journeying through the Bible. Uh, yeah, we're so going through the entire Bible this year and taking each book from the Bible uh, every week and one book at a time, sometimes two parts because of the size of the book, and then see where God takes us with it. As well as there are some things that, you know, we may not have understood, but because we're going through the, the whole entire Bible, we'll be able to understand the entire Bible in context. Sometimes we'll read one story and then we'll think, why did God do that? Wow, that was harsh. But understanding God's grace, it wasn't just about the situation. He would give warnings and he would give opportunity after opportunity for us to turn from our ways and turn back to him. So going through the Bible will help us when we read different parts of the Bible to relate it to the entire word of God, lest we take out bits and pieces and become confused or use it in the wrong way. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing tonight. We'll be in the book of Ezekiel talking about judgment and hope. And this is just part one. Uh, we don't like the word judgment, but we do like the word hope. Now, some of us, we are judgmental. We're judgmental people, and sometimes we don't even know it. But that's the only time we'll, we'll lean more towards judgment is when we're in that seat. We don't want to be judged, but sometimes we do that with other people. Sometimes we want other people to be judged so that they can get what they deserve. Sometimes we want justice to be given. So there needs to be a judgment. Someone needs to pass judgment on that person. Or if there's a crime that was committed or something happened, then we want judgment. We want justice. God is both judge and one who gives hope. God is a very just God. So everything he does is going to be true, accurate, with righteousness. But he also gives hope. That's what the book of Ezekiel does. It shows us God's judgment to a people, that's all of us, who deserves judgment. We deserved punishment because of our sin. And at the same time, God says, but I'm still going to give you hope. So we're, we're going to unpack that tonight. I do want to let you know that we've been practicing and, and uh, have some of our staff up here. Some of our volunteers are up here. So sometimes I'll address you. Sometimes I'll address the people that are here. But I, I just want to give you a, a clear, uh, a crystal clear communication on what we're doing and, and how we are regathering. And I just want to update you on what that looks like for us as a church. So as of right now, what we're doing is we're training our staff and some of our volunteers on how we'll be regathering. Part of us caring for people, what we've decided to do is to rebroadcast our first service. This is for Sunday morning. Rebroadcast our first service for our 11 o'clock service on Sundays. So it's, it's using our first service to rebroadcast for 11 o'clock service, which allows our staff and their teams to return home after serving for two services. 
And the decision is pretty much based on keeping our people, our families, our community safe during this pandemic time. And with that being said, this allows me the opportunity to join you during third service online where I'll be hosting alongside with our host. But like how you are in the, with the comments and even church online, uh, we have host that if you have questions, I'll be there for third service uh, at the same time because it'll be rebroadcast from first service. Uh, so to be clear, I want to give you the four things. One, we are working towards how rather than when we regather. The second thing is that we're encouraging everyone to continue to participate online and be the church wherever you are. The third thing is we are still having three services, 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, and 11 o'clock on Sundays. First service will be rebroadcasted for third service. And then the fourth thing, you can still join us for Q&A after first service and second service or join me online for third service where I'll be more than happy to answer any of your questions that you have regarding the message in the chat area on all three platforms, uh, Church Online, YouTube, and Facebook. So we'll, we'll have that available for you. And that's on Sundays. Wednesday nights, it's the same. And even after service, I jump on uh, Instagram and we stay here on Church Online if there are any questions so that we can still connect. Okay? So if you have any questions, then you can email us at ask at newhopehilo.org. Okay. Well, tonight, being in the book of Ezekiel, you can get your Bibles and get that ready. Or if you have the notes, that's fine too. But we're going to start off with the uh, first chapter of the book of Ezekiel, chapter uh, 1, verse 1. And you can get your Bibles ready there. Uh, you know, when we look at the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel's life, what Ezekiel shows is that Israel, the nation of Israel, deserved judgment from God like we all do. And also that God's justice actually creates hope for the future. And even with what we go through, God says that I'm going to give you a hopeful future. And many of the divine visions that Ezekiel shares are relevant to God's plans for reconstructing the present world and restoring his people to the former days of the Garden of Eden. If you go back into the book of Genesis and read what was happening in the Garden of Eden, there was a perfect relationship between mankind and God, and God was the provider for everything. And regardless of our sinful past, God always brings us hope. The question is, what are we focusing on? What, are, what captures our attention? What is going to grab our heart? What, where is our soul going to be invested in? What captures your attention the most? Now, for some people, just, just think about life in general. What captures our attention? For some of us, it's food. I know for some of us, it is food. And when we're grouchy, food helps us. Or the lack of food, we become grouchy. Uh, <laughs> I hear somebody laughing on the side because she knows I'm talking about her. Uh, there's also, uh, your, your, what captures your attention is a certain car, a kind of vehicle, and maybe that's your dream car. Uh, what captures your attention sometimes is a certain color. Uh, maybe a certain movie captures your attention. Uh, it could be a certain song. It captures your attention. Uh, maybe, maybe a certain person captures your attention. Maybe you have a, a, a good connection with someone or you're friends with someone and, and they capture your attention. It could, it could also be that, that God captures your attention. Or your spouse captures your attention. There's this one time Heidi, who is my wife, she came into my office and she had uh, a couple, a couple 
packages as well as a, a container of ice cream. And ice cream captures my attention. It, it captures my attention. It, it just knows that that's my, you know, it's on my radar. So she walked into my office, and when she walked in, I saw what she was carrying. And then I saw the ice cream, and my eyes lit up. And then she turns to the people who were in my office, and she said, did you notice? Did you notice that my husband, when I walked in, did not even look at me, not even eye contact, not even hi Heidi. He immediately focused on the ice cream, which was true. That did happen. My defense, my defense was, first of all, when you walk into my office, you didn't knock because I, I, Heidi doesn't need to knock. I said, just come into my office. Just walk in. And there's a window she can see right in. So she came in the office. And so I was a little bit like, okay, wh- what is happening? What's going on? I see all of these bags. So I'm thinking, I, I want to help this woman. She has all of these bags. I want to help. So how many bags is she carrying? And so I wanted to help her. But then I saw the ice cream, and then I got deviated from me trying to help her. So I did, I did stray a little bit. But my heart intent was to help. That's, that's my story. Even though, even though she may feel otherwise, that's my story. And I know you're watching right now, Heidi. You're not here. So yeah, I'm brave. See you when I get home. In this season, what has captured your heart? What is kind of intense right now? It's like everybody's praying for me right now. Like, oh man, this guy's dead me. So if I'm not speaking on Sunday, you know what happened when I went home. Uh, But in this season, the, the question is this. What has captured your heart? Or more importantly, who has captured your heart? Sometimes we'll watch the news, we'll scroll, scroll through social media, or someone will send us a text or some, some, something that has to do with what's happening in the world, and this year being election year, and, and all of the, the political you know, drama and political radars are going up, and, and all of the different memes going back and forth, or, or perspectives, and, and with all the different protesting, and, and of course, coronavirus, and quarantine, and uh, differences in opinions. This doctor says this, this doctor says that. One person says this thing, one person does that. So now we're, we're in a position where there's so many things capturing our attention that we may have just by default of being human beings and things capturing our attention, we've forgotten that God should capture our attention the most. And it happens very subtly. Every day this comes at us. And even still, God gives us hope. Even though when we look at the world, it almost seems like it is hopeless. But it is only hopeful because we have a God filled with hope and a just God who has to judge because he's a just God. So I want to give us a couple things that will help us with judgment and hope. The first question in, and, or the first thing to decide is I, I decide what I'm captured by. No one else is going to decide this for you. No one is going to force you to decide one way or the other. No one is going to force you to, you need to, you need to have my perspective. You need to vote for this person. Nobody can force you to do that. It's going to be your ultimate decision. People can persuade you. They can give you wisdom. They can do that. But ultimately, we're going to have to decide what captures us. Look at what happens with Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. And he writes this. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, 
that I was among the captives by the river Chabar. And the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. What Ezekiel does is, well, first of all, he's using the ancient Hebrew lunar calendar because they followed the lunar calendar. So it was actually July 31st, uh, 593 B.C. So it's in this same month, the month of July. And notice that they were, he was already a captive. He was held captive. But at the same time he was held captive, which the, the Israelites were held captive, that the heavens were opened and he saw visions of God. Now he has an opportunity to either stay the captive and stay the victim of, but I'm captured. I'm now living in a foreign land. We're exiled. Or he can say, wait a minute. The heavens were open and I saw visions of God. He can either stay the captive or he can see visions of God, which is going to be up to us. We can either stay captive, stay stuck in quarantine, grumble and complain because we're stuck in this season, or we as God's people can still see visions of God. We can still see visions. Why? Because God is not captured. God is not contained to a virus. He's never quarantined. He's eternal. We can still see visions from God, even though we may be in this season that we're in. Ezekiel may even feel a little depressed because he's, he's in his 30th year, celebrating his 30th birthday, as you were. may not have been his birthday that, while he's writing this, but this is his 30th year. Oh, I remember my 30th year. I remember that. In fact, my 30th birthday, I was already on staff. I came into the staff meeting. In fact, they, they came to my car with a wheelchair and gave me uh, this, this one... I don't know what it's called. It's, it's something, it said, it said just for men. Or maybe that's what it's called. I think any, any of you men know, it, I think it's just called just for men. It's, it's hair color or hair dye. Yeah, something like that. They brought that out just for men. And I, I guess when your hair turns gray, you put this on. And then it, it some of you men know, and, and I know you're in your house, and some, some of you use this. Don't be ashamed. Nothing to be ashamed of. It's okay. Some of you, you just go bald, and that's fine. You, you wear your hair or head, whatever, however you want, but that's what they did. They brought it to me and had a black cake and then gave me um, uh, this, this ointment for, for sore muscles, Bengay, you know, that, 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 like icy hot. And this is at, thir- at 30 years old, 30. Now I'm thinking everybody has their perspective about an age. Ezekiel, I wonder what he was thinking because it was the year where he should have been part of the priesthood. Something he probably was looking forward to. It's a big deal to be part of the priesthood. And it didn't happen. Why? Because he was in exile or for whatever else reason. And that would have been his identity. Priesthood. Maybe even feeling like, wow, I, I made it or I'm, I'm, in a pers- I'm, I'm now in a position of significance. Maybe people will respect me. Or wow, God, I would love to serve you in that role. Whatever the case, he, he wasn't able to accomplish that just yet. But then God shows up and gives him a vision. Almost as if to say, Ezekiel, you have a choice. You can, you can stay in exile or you can still see visions. You, you can still dream. You can still have fresh revelation by me. Some of us were 
we're captured by our own plans. Maybe, maybe we're captured by a, a positional identity. Maybe that's what captures our hearts. That we just, we need to be in a position to have identity or, or, or be in a position to have influence or to be, to be in a place of respect so other people respect me or, or even in our very own homes, how do people respect me? How do I get that? Or maybe being a person of significance due to expectations. Wh- whatever captures our heart, we're going to try to gravitate towards that to make it happen. In this case, Ezekiel, he's just in exile, 30th year of his life, but then he sees the heavens open and he sees a vision of God. He could have stopped there and says, oh, oh wow, God, now, now you show me that. Who am I? I? I can't do anything. We're in exile. There's nothing we can do from this point on. But Ezekiel did not do that. He chose for his identity to be in God, which continued the vision of what God had in store for him. See, we can have all of those things capture our hearts, capture our thoughts, and that would be our identity, our plans, influence, and all of that, positional things. That, that can be our identity, or our identity will be in God, and we can see visions of God. Will I be captured by the Lord, even though we may feel like we're in exile or in a foreign place in life or in our family, maybe even ministry or even philosophy or perspective, that we've never been in a place like this before. And even though we live in the same land, we're in the same house, we feel exiled because we've not experienced this before. We don't know what to do, but yet God still says, I will still give you vision for your life as a husband, as a father, as a mom, as a, as a school teacher, as a police officer, as a, 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 a person who who works at a, a, a department store, a gas station, that the, the positions that we have and where we're placed is not our identity. God gives us our identity. He is our influence. Ezekiel was among the captives, but he wasn't held captive. We decide what's going to capture us. It's up to us. The second thing and I want to encourage all of us in this, is to go with God because God goes with us. It's that relationship. It's that continuation. And, and there's going to be tension. There's going to be tension between us and God, between us and people, because we're, we're hanging on to God. We're, we're going to have that tension, but that tension is a part of the relationship with God. It's not always going to be smooth. We're going to have some intense moments. The other day, I was running with my dogs and, you know, trying to stay, you know, trying to exercise still in this time and the thing about my dogs is they just want to run they don't understand you know my age and that i can't run as fast as them first of all i'm like you have four legs i only have two so you should be running twice as fast as me but they won't they won't listen they will either if i don't work in tandem with them they will either drag me or i'm going to be like yanking them back so there's a cooperation that needs to take place. Now, if you ever, if you ever jet skied or uh, here in the Hilo Bay, uh, one time we were wakeboarding, and my friend Kalani was on the jet ski, and, and I was on the wakeboard. And from shore, you know, you just sit a little bit, and then he'll pull you up. Well, that's what he did. So he, when he went with the jet ski, he pulled me up, and now I'm on the water. And you have to, I mean, I'm inexperienced. This is the first time I've ever done this. So all I know is I have to hang on and keep everything as, as tense as possible because I don't want to have any lag 
you know, on the rope because if there's a lag and he takes a turn and it yanks me, things will go bad or my arms will just yank off. I'm just thinking of the worst case scenario. So as he's heading out into Hilo Bay, and if you're from the Big Island, you know where the, the rock wall is, and I'm not sure how far it is from shore, but he's heading in that direction. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is so cool. I love this. This is so awesome. And it's flat, so it's not that bad. But then I start to think, wait, how far are we going to go? And then my legs, my thighs begin to uh, fatigue because it's all in the legs at that point. Sure, I'm using my arms too, but my, now my legs are starting to feel tired. And so I tell him, I said, <laughs> I said, Kalani, turn around. He says, okay. So he turns around, and good thing he kept the tension. This guy's a professional. And he brings me to shore. Now we're heading to shore, and I'm feeling good because my legs are dying. And then I'm thinking, how am I going to get off of this thing? How do, I, how do I get off? Because the only person I know of that walked on water was Jesus. I'm not him, so this is, I, I don't know what to do. So I said, hey, hey, Kalani. And we're, we're coming in. And I, he said, yeah. I said, how do I get off? He goes, don't worry, I can swing you around. I said, what? He said, don't worry, I can swing you. Jump off. So in, so <laughs> that's, that's, so pigeon English or pigeon language, that's, it's basically saying, I'm going to head toward the shore. I'm going to take a sharp right, and it's going to swing you and give you some momentum. And all you need to do is jump off and land on the sand. If you've been at Bayfront, it's not sand. It's just crushed volcanic rock. <laughs> it's, it's small, tiny. Some areas are soft. So he did that, and he hooked the turn, and I jumped off, and I rolled, and uh, popped up, and acted like, woohoo! Body was sore, side pain, but uh, we have pictures of it. Thank, I'm not going to show those pictures. Maybe one day I would, but after all that was done, my legs were like jello. I'm shaking. And, and, I, and I, felt, I, I felt good about it because I survived, but I felt like when I was being pulled, I had to cooperate with that tension. I, I had to, there was, there was no time to mess around with trying to do tricks, trying to be fancy. It was strictly focusing on, he's pulling me, I'm hanging on to him. This tension, it, it's, it's a good tension. Some of us have this tension with God. We're, we're feeling one way one day, and then we're feeling another way another day. Some days we're close to God. Some days we feel distant to God. Some days we, we hear God clearly. Some days it's foggy, but yet there's that tension with God. I want to encourage you in this. Don't let go. As intense as it is with God, don't let go. Because the moment we let go, the only option is to sink. Of course, there is the possibility of slamming your face into the water at that point, and it hurts. It's almost like cement going at that speed. But hang on. Don't let go of God because He's definitely not going to, hang, not going to let go of you. Hang on to Him. Go with God because He goes with us at the core of God's judgment is hope and at the core of God's judgment and hope is our relationship with God that's what he's after in the in the 11th chapter of Ezekiel Ezekiel writes this I the sovereign Lord and he's, he's writing because he's hearing this from God seeing this vision I the sovereign Lord will gather you back from the nations where you have been scattered 
This is God's promise. And I will give you the land of Israel once again, which has happened. When the people return to their homeland, they will remove every trace of their vile images and detestable idols. And I will give them singleness of heart. In other words, one mind, one vision. I'm going to give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. In other words, a heart that is willing to learn. So they will obey my decrees and regulations. In other words, we cannot obey God unless we're willing to learn. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. In other words, God is saying, I will equip you to be my people. That tension that you feel from time to time, I'm still going to equip you. Even though you may feel from time to time distant from me or certain things are happening in the world and you're wondering, where am I? Stay close to me. Hang on to me because I'm not going to let you go. It's a relationship. So I want, I want to ask you this question. What, and this is the third thing, what word picture would depict your life with God right now? Because with Ezekiel, he did more than a word picture. Ezekiel acted it out. He built, a, he built a tiny little model of Jerusalem, which if you've been to Jerusalem, we visited there twice, but he's, he built a small little model of Jerusalem and then staged an attack. So it's almost like playing army man. Now people are watching him. He's like, because you can't play army man without sound effects. There's no possible way. In fact, when we play, uh, I put on background music, cinematic music, and we go crazy in our house with our grandkids. So he's here and he's, he's doing this and everyone's watching him. And this is what God instructed him to do. He had to act it out. He shaved off all of his hair and then chopped it up with a sword. Shaved off his hair. Now people are watching this. We may even see this happening in our own city and we're wondering, what are these people doing? We see people and we're wondering, what, what's happening with them? For some, we're saying, oh, they, they do need uh, medical help. They do suffer from some type of mental illness. I'm sure there are people who are watching Ezekiel thinking the same thing. Like, Ezekiel, what, what are you doing? And then he had to play the role of the scapegoat on the Day of Atonement and lay on his side for a year eating food cooked with human fertilizer as a sign of what Jerusalem would go through. And after all of that trouble, God would say, oh yeah, and after you do all of this, <laughs> the people are still not going to listen to you. I wonder if we would have followed through with it. Ezekiel did. It's almost like God saying, you know, after all your work, no one's going to listen. Can you imagine that? Some of you are like, yeah, I can imagine that. I tell my kids every day, do this, do that. They don't do nothing. They don't listen. So I get what Ezekiel is going through. People in my own household don't listen. But what Ezekiel was doing is he was saying, this is what God is wanting for us. Here are his promises. But this is also going to be his judgment because we're not turning towards him. And God has judged us. He did judge us. But the way God did that was on the cross. We don't deserve God's grace, his goodness. We don't deserve his mercy or his rewards. We, we just don't. God has compassion for us. What word picture 
would be your life right now? What would that look like right now? For some of us, maybe the word picture would be a ton of bricks on our head. It's just a massive migraine headache. Maybe for some of us, uh, the word picture is maybe, maybe we're on the ground and all of our kids are piling up on us. Like, there's just a, so, many, so many things to do and I don't have enough time to spend with everyone. Or maybe the word picture for you is, is like a vice grip on your back. It's, it's just like life is squeezing you. What is your word picture? You might even be artistic enough to draw it out a little bit, or if you're taking some notes, what is your word picture right now in your life? And maybe with that word picture, God would give you another word, another picture, in how he's going to bring hope. Or maybe your word picture right now is, is sunshine and rainbows. Maybe that's your word picture right now. Maybe, maybe you're at a good season, and you have a good word picture, and that's a great thing. God is a hopeful God. One of the things that we're trying to do, even in this season, and we, we talked about it before, is to disciple someone. It's part of bringing hope to people. It's letting them know that this relationship with God is a personal connection with Him. That when you have this personal connection with God, and, and Jonathan was saying it earlier during the time of giving, that what a joy it is for us to hear about people telling stories about how God has been speaking to them. That's how you know there's fruit coming out of someone's life in being discipled that there's a personal connection to god that we're beginning to understand the big picture that we can talk about the full gospel of jesus christ with our own mouths that there's a change from the inside out that we begin to look at ourselves in the mirror and not recognize who we are because we've changed from the old person to now the new person that's what discipleship does and i love that jonathan shared that 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 person was saying man i God has renewed my heart for people who are far from God. The Bible says that we're lost without God. In discipling one another, that we would develop a heart for the lost. That we're telling stories like that, like what Jonathan shared, that we're telling stories about how we're helping people find Jesus. We don't save people, Jesus does, but we can lead them to him. We can play that part, that there's a whole surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, that people are declaring Jesus as Lord and Savior over their entire lives. Nothing is off limits to God. This is what we're doing. We're, we want to even more disciple someone. And put seeking your face. We're so thankful that we can collectively together always turn to you. You are a hopeful God. So tonight, our, our prayer is to decide to be captured by you that our attention would be on you, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then everything else can be added unto us. We also look forward to what you're going to be doing in our future, that we would stay close to you, that we would be a people who look to you no matter what our season is like, and whatever word picture you give to us, whatever our life is like right now, if it's not, if it doesn't look so good, Lord, can you show us also a hopeful word picture for our life? Can you give us vision for where we are? Give us fresh revelation. And even in the midst of a storm, like what Ezekiel experienced, there was a, it was a weird storm and weird things were happening in the storm, but he still saw a vision in the storm. And it was visions that you could give to him to give hope. Can you do that for us, Lord? Give us vision 
so that we can be hopeful in a season like this. And although we may feel that we're captive or held captive by what is happening in our world with this virus or different laws that are put in place and, and trying our very best to be safe, we're not held captive from receiving vision from you. We decide that. It's up to us. And tonight, we want to see, we want to see you, Lord. And I pray that for all of us. And we look forward to all that you're going to do, even through this season, because you are a hopeful God who took on judgment that we deserved. It's in your name that we pray, Lord. And we all said together, amen. Amen.